You're listening to the CPR of Life podcast, a show about creating community through connection, awakening potential, and uncovering the resilience of the human spirit through an understanding of state of mind. It's about living a life well-lived and uncovering what often gets in the way. Welcome to episode number 26. On today's episode, we are virtually traveling to Stoke-on-Trent in England to chat with Rebel Girl Nikki Bartley. As a transformation coach, Nikki has a magic touch for helping people understand how the mind works. There might have been an ocean between us, but I love the connection I felt with Nikki. So welcome, Nikki. I am really, really happy to have you here, and I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you. And as we said on Friday, shame on us for not doing this sooner. Yeah, absolutely, Jessalyn. We had a gorgeous conversation, and uh, I'm glad to be back today. So, Yeah. Do you want to tell the, the listeners a little bit about who is Nikki? Yeah, I said before, we just had this conversation again. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a transformation coach, and... Um, I teach a really simple understanding that I know that you know about. I teach people how the mind works. And from there, they see whatever they see, do whatever they do. You know, it's about total acceptance, love, understanding. And it really is that simple. That's me in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) That's the shortest bio I've ever heard. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, When people come to you, do they, do they come to you knowing that that's kind of the, like how simple it is to work with you? And because from my experience, simplicity is sometimes hard for people to grasp. They want more. <laughs> very rarely, very rarely people come to me that simply. And I'm totally okay with that. You know, it's simple for me. I'm not saying it's simple for them straight away. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... Very rarely do I I meet someone and they say, what do you do? And I tell them and they say, oh, I want to work with you. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or it does, but they very rarely end up working with me there and then. Mm. You know, so, yeah, what I teach is really simple. How they get to me can be really complicated, <laughs> which I guess is part of, the, part of the problem, isn't it, you know, that, the way we complicate life and and as a coach and I'm not gonna add to that. And so yeah, I could I could give a huge bio <laughs> listing all my accomplishments, but I just know that they'd miss the point. Yeah. You know, so so do you are a coach now, were you like when did you become a coach? I think you said you were a social worker prior to it. Yeah, I was a social worker. Um, that was my, I'd been a social worker for 20 years. Absolutely loved it. I actually became a coach five and a half years ago. Wow, I don't even realise it's that long ago. It feels like yesterday. Yeah. What made you change? <coughs> Numerous nervous breakdowns and depression, anxiety, stress, suicidal thoughts, suicidal attempts attempts at suicide or attempts at suicide that all looked like suddenly it came from social work or my colleagues or the system or you know so I needed to opt out and and I took voluntary redundancy came along at the right time I went to work for the NHS here in the UK as a PA so so completely different job. Discovered that I was a rubbish PA. I haven't got any organisational skills at all. <laughs> and uh, very quickly was promoted out of that position. Into a <laughs> very quickly because, <laughs> because of your lack of skills. <laughs> they were really disappointed. You know, the interview was one of the most stunning, gorgeous experiences I've ever had for that job. Awesome. I'm really not surprised. It's funny, isn't it? I'm really not surprised I got it. It's like I'd have been really shocked if I hadn't. <laughs> and then um, actually starting the job and, um, yeah, I'd got, I'd got no organisational skills whatsoever. And I'm quite, you know what, I'm quite um, opinionated. Really? <laughs> <And it's, laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and so, and back then, you know, that's something. I've got rough edges now. Back then, I really had them. Mm. You know, I really had them. I had a lot of insecurity. And um, damn right, I was always right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I was promoted out of that really quickly. And luckily into a team that had a coach. Mm. And so that was my first experience of coaching. Until that point, I'd rejected personal development. You know, it was not something I was going to do. Um, and then I just, yeah, I had a coach and it really helped me for a little while. And so I thought, maybe that's what I can do, become a coach. And so I did. I did some training, became a coach, never even considered that I didn't know how to run a business. <laughs> and, um, you yeah, I'd never run a business. So I um, left my job immediately without any consideration <laughs> of how I was going to make a living or where I was going to get clients from or what I was going to do. And, you know, it took me 18 months to get my business. Well, it took me 18 months to even get my first paying client. Mm. Never mind get my business off the ground. So really, I actually only consider that I've been a coach probably for the last four years. Yeah. <laughs> the first year and a half, I was just pretending. <laughs> <laughs> you're out. I think we said this, you're having conversations with the invisible man <laughs> or just with yourself. <laughs> they can be very fruitful sometimes. Yeah. There's something, there's two things you said there that I want to circle back to. <clears throat> you said that you were opinionated mm. and that you were like in, insecure, feeling insecure. You were having feelings of insecurity. Do you think that they're related? Oh, absolutely. Totally. You know, um, I was a massive pretender. I was like one of those swans that would sail along the river and underneath my legs were flapping like mad to keep me afloat. And um, I was really scared of anyone finding that out, which is, I I don't recognise that woman. (laughs) <laughs> but I just have the utmost sympathy for her yeah and I know that she was just frightened and in pain it was they're definitely related and you know the result of that is not daring to be wrong really having to be heard um yeah just keeping those plates spinning and that hamster wheel going for so long so when did that when did that start to change, and what did it look like as it was changing? You know, I guess it had already started to change by the time I became a coach. You know, I acknowledged, you know, that that was the first time I'd done the job. When I was the PA, that was the first time I'd taken a role that I couldn't do, mm. and that was a big shock to me because, in all honesty, it was a role that I thought was going to be the easiest job in the world. That's why I take, took it. Yeah. You know, um, booking a few appointments, managing someone's diary. Yeah. That should have, you know, looked to me like that should have been easy. So I think that was my first glimpse of acknowledging that I am not bulletproof. Acknowledging to myself, not to anyone else, but to me. You know, up until then, I've been a real—I've been a real high achiever in the field of social work as well. You know, I worked for government in terms of writing their programs, and I'd relied on all of this, all this reputation and um, expertise. You know, how it looked to other people that I was the expert. That'd been really important to me. So I think it's—I think by the time I came across this understanding, it had already there was already cracks in the facade yeah and then you know the 18 months of not getting any clients was the best thing that could have ever happened to me the best thing because that really I'd got nowhere else to look I'd got nowhere to look other than within me and so you know, I accidentally came across Jamie Smart's book, A Little Book of Clarity, picked it up, I read it. Something in me changed, something deep inside. Now, I, I still didn't consider that I could be happy 
or that I was happy. But there was a glimmer of hope. I found in Jamie's words, there's reason to be hopeful. Mm. You know, and then when I um, sort of enrolled on the train, I did that first day of a 12-month programme. That was, that was the moment where I knew that I would never be the same again. You know, I knew that what I'd been looking for was me all along. And was it a dance? <clears throat> Did you kind of go into that and then go out of it, go in and go out? Of course, I mean, you know, absolutely. You know, I didn't have... When people listen, it took, you know, I know you've heard that story, Jesse Lennon. And it's a really important part of this whole thing for me. However, my life didn't suddenly, I didn't, my life didn't suddenly get sparkly, but there was enough hope for me to know that I could continue moment to moment. And it was probably, it took me six months to start to share what happened in that hotel room. So you want to tell the listeners what happened? Yeah, yeah, that'd probably be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'd gone, you know, following reading that book, I'd gone down to London. Um, I, was, I was really hoping to learn from Jamie how to make money as a coach, how to get clients, how to get high-value clients. That's what I thought I'd signed up to. And what I discovered that weekend was that what I was really there to learn was who I really am. That I already have all of the wisdom I need to get back in life and to thrive in life and to have a happy, loving, peaceful life. And that seemed so alien to me sitting there in that room, hearing Jamie saying that thought, mind and consciousness is creating our experience. And that the only thing stopping us knowing that is a busy mind. And a busy mind comes from us trying to you know, have a different experience. And I could hear him talking. I could hear what he was saying. And part of me agreed. And part of me, you know, that part that's always right was saying no way. <laughs> because I, Jamie, can prove I've got £149,000 worth of debt. Yeah. And four days of having my house repossessed. Yeah. I can prove. I have the exception. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so, so I left that day thinking I would never go back to that program. And I went back to my hotel room. I rang my partner first, who didn't know about the debt or the house repossession, because he'd only moved in with me a few months before and said, Although we'd been in a relationship for a while, he, he, he'd actually only moved in with me recently. So I didn't want to tell him what a failure I was, you know. Which is really funny. He's the one person I trusted the most and I still couldn't be open and honest. So um, I rang Stephen at the train station and said, I'm coming home. This, this course is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> thought minds and consciousness he hasn't once told me how to get clients I want my money back <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Stephen said are oh, you doing what you always do Nikki <laughs> and I heard something then but it really I got really annoyed it really annoyed me what I heard Jessalyn I heard in the background that he was right that I always as soon as something doesn't go my way, I bolt. Mm. But what my busy mind heard was, you're a loser, you know, you're... I just heard all of the, you know, and I got really angry and I put the phone down. I thought, well, I'm not going back to you neither. Because <laughs> 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 yeah. I love, you know, I'm three-hour journey from London. So I goes back to my hotel room and um, 
as someone who'd been depressed for seven or eight years and was pretending publicly that she wasn't. As someone who'd been on medication for that long and, you know, in the mental health system for that long, and I get back to my hotel room and I just thought, this is it now, this is... I've got nothing else. This was my last hope. And this guy's a fraud. I, I thought that book was really amazing, but, you know, he's a fraud. And I was just getting into bed. Just falling asleep and... Um, the fire alarm went off. And my first thought was, um, Nikki, this is what you've come to London for. You've come to die here in this fire. You won't have to go bankrupt and face the shame that you're experiencing now. You won't have to tell Stephen when you go home that your house is getting repossessed and he'll have nowhere to live. You won't have to tell your kids what a failure, a failure you are, like all of these things. And as I lay there, like thinking all of this, I suddenly felt really peaceful. And my mind just got very quiet. Nah, I didn't think anything. All of a sudden, I thought nothing. And then, without any thought attached to it or conscious awareness of it, I was running down eight flights of stairs, like a mad woman heading for the exit, trying to get out of this hotel room, you know, that was burning. And um, I was stopped just as I was going to go through a revolving door by a hand on my shoulders. It was the guy from reception and he just says, miss, miss, it's a false alarm. And I turned around and I was standing there naked and he's trying to cover me up with his, his jacket. <laughs> I can't wear clothes in bed. And he was really embarrassed. And I just had this moment where I knew that I'd been, oh, I'm going to get emotional. It still makes me emotional now because I knew that for 45 years I'd been fighting imaginary fires. I'd been running from them and avoiding them and I walked back to my hotel room in a just, just in a completely different state of mind, feeling very peaceful, feeling very sure of life, feeling, yes, this is what I came here for. But it wasn't what I thought it was like, no, it wasn't dying the fire. <laughs> It, it was for something much more magnificent than that. It was to see that there's nothing for me to do. I really knew I got back into bed and my first thought was, I can go bankrupt and I'm okay. I can lose my house on Wednesday and I'm okay. And I had this feeling of just being untouchable. And um, so I did go back to Jamie's programme today, <laughs> but I was so overcome, you know, I, I get emotional now because it was such an important evening for me, you know, so much came from that and still does. But right back then, I also, I couldn't stop crying. And so outwardly, I probably looked to it, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> It was a real wreck. Everyone kept saying, are you okay? And I kept saying, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> As the tears were streaming down your face. Like that, you know. But I couldn't tell anyone what had happened. I just had no words for it. Because that, I, I'd left that girl behind. Mm. And so I went on this journey for the next six months where... I suddenly found courage and my resilience and I noticed that I was getting clients and I went bankrupt. I didn't get my house repossessed. <laughs> my whole business changed. My whole life changed. You know, and when I say that, I don't say it lightly. I don't want to give the impression that 
it came from nowhere. It came from within me, you know, because I dropped the pretense. I suddenly became really honest with myself. I just knew that whatever happens, happens, and I can deal with it. What did Stephen say when you told him? <laughs> so I, I came home on the train. I, I gained a client. I gained my first client on the train home, <laughs> and, um, which was really remarkable. I mean, you know, Emma leans over. I, I've been crying all day. She leans over. She says, you okay? I said, oh, yeah. I said, I've had a weird weekend. So I said, I've had a weird life. upon reflection (laughs) (laughs) you know because I was really like wow I was just so blown away you know I just so we had this wonderful conversation and by the time she got off the train an hour later she signed up as my first client Hmm. and um, so I came home to Stephen and said look I've got something to tell you And I told him, and he said, oh, you're such a drama queen. (laughs) (laughs) And even even that was just like the, that was so profound. Because it just wasn't the conversation I was imagining having. Never is though, is it? And again, that was another reminder that, you know, so, so, and this kept happening, these, I kept daring to step out, mm. little by little, step by step. I just kept daring to step out into the world, raw, honest, or as honest as I can be in any moment, ready for whatever life brings me. When you say stepping out and being honest, that that was different than when you looked at it before and when you were like kind of opinionated before. Totally, totally different and continues. That changes too, that depends. That that just changes, you know, Um, what it meant then compared to what it means now is different again, you know. Um, But I just, I was okay with people not liking me. That didn't change my opinion of them at all. I was okay with me not liking me sometimes because I know why that happened. I was okay with seeing those around me suffer. You know, because one of my things, Jessamine, is I was a real fixer. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons I got on that hamster wheel was to keep everyone else happy. I could earn enough money. I could do this. I could do that to make sure all of the people I loved were safe, happy, and well. Same. Yeah. It's, you know, and and that's that's so common, isn't it? Like, I saw you relate to that just as we do that, don't we? We fix people. And we th- there's something to get from that is I remember years ago <clears throat> a friend saying to me she was having problems in a relationship it's not up to you to fix my relationship and at the time I was like oh I was kind of you know I was hurt by that and I was kind of insulted yeah and she was so right <laughs> it just it really wasn't you know um but yeah it was and if 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 you couldn't fix it then I would take that I'm a failure. I haven't, you know, I can't do this, you know. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I imagine you're the same. I see, so, I see this in so many people. So many people, like, live in this chaos simply because they want to fix. <laughs> because when everyone else around them is fixed, then they can breathe a sigh of relief. That's what yeah. I really always happening to me you know or they get their sense of like worth through somebody else if you're happy then I must be a good partner friend daughter sister whatever you know as long as you're happy then I must be good yeah that was totally me (laughs) (laughs) 
I was, I was a real people pleaser, real people pleaser. And that just kept making less and less sense to me, less and less sense. And it's exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. But it's, you know, it's, that comes out of love and we don't realise. Like, we know that comes out of love. I love so much. I want to be there. And, you know, but, but there's nothing like seeing that we're okay, that we're enough, that we are, we have everything we need because once you see that for yourself, then it's kind of, I, I've got this assumption now, like this automatic assumption now that no one needs anything from me. You also have, because I, I have this now, it's just where it's just like, I know they're going to be okay. Like, you know, they've got this. I don't need to put on my Wonder Woman costume and kind of, you know, step in. And that, that's, you can trust that, can't you? That's, you know, I, I feel I can trust that. It's something that I can rely on to be true. Because my version of fixing someone is probably not going to be how they want to be fixed. (laughs) (laughs) That really pertains to dating in my life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, before we hit record, we were were talking about what we were going to talk about and one of the things I was touching on that has come up quite a bit in conversations lately has been about self-worth and not enough, kind of not enoughness of, you know... And it, this this definitely feeds into all that, isn't it? But it's funny when when you're in that space, but it looks so real. Mm. Well, you know, I've probably changed my viewpoints on this this last few years too. So, you you know, you've just heard my starting point into this, understanding how, you know, I I started travelling here. But not being enough, it isn't that I always know that I'm enough, because absolutely I don't. I just really don't. You know, some moments I feel like I'm anything but enough. But I, I I know what the signs of that are. You know, I know that I have this personal alarm within me and it's called my feelings. And when they are off kilter, when they are off track, there's, there's information in that for me. And this was my missing link. This was what I really hadn't seen. Like, you know, my feelings were to be avoided. My feelings were to be changed. They were to be managed. They were to be prescribed ahead of the event. <laughs> if I would do something or I would commit to doing something that I thought I knew that I would feel a certain way about. And um, the, real, the, real, the real time I got a glimpse of this was within that first six months of um, me discovering my enoughness for the first time. I was wondering how to get clients. I was going through this, you know. So I had some clients and I wanted more. And I took some business cards of a colleague of mine. He got a big pile of business cards on his desk. And we were doing some joint work together, some collaboration. It was amazing. But he got this big pile of business cards, this massive stack. And I said, what are you doing with those? And he said, they're just from different networking events I've been to. And, you know, the contacts that you... I said, well, what are you doing with them? He says, nothing. I just keep them there on the desk. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought, right. I said, do you mind if I have them? <laughs> he said, no, go ahead. So I, I bought these home with me, these business cards. And I sat on my living room floor with my telephone. And I rang, started, started to go through these cards one by one, started from the top didn't choose who was up it was like I didn't know these people didn't you know so I just went through them one by one and started to ask them if they wanted a conversation about working with me wow. and it was really scary wow I just knew I this was kind of like I just had this inkling I don't know why but I just had this inkling that 
the reason I wasn't getting clients is because I wasn't asking. Hmm. I was still expecting like my like people to bang my door down to come work with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah <nothing. laughs> And you know, you'll know yourself. No one wants a coach. <laughs> yeah. Anyone that wants a coach. So I decided to do that. I sat on the floor, and there must have been two, three thousand business cards, and I didn't call all of them, but I probably called about seven hundred in one day. So what did you say? I. <laughs> I found your card <laughs> on somebody's desk. <laughs> no, I didn't. I lied. I'll be honest. I lied. Such an oxymoron. Yeah, it is. But I just knew that was okay too. That was just, you know, I was just there. I, was, I just picked the phone up and I said, hi, you probably don't remember me, but I met you at a networking event a few months ago and we exchanged cards and because I knew how this works, you know, yeah. like you put these spots. And um, I just wondered if we could meet for coffee about possibly working together. And most said no. Yeah. Out of 700 people, most said no. Three said yes and became my clients. And I thought, well, that took me a day of ringing yeah. strangers, and I'm not dead yet. Yeah. <laughs> And that was a really amazing exercise for me. Like, these people did not know me. Like, I am enough. Mm. Just me connecting with humans. And so I kept doing things like that. I kept taking leaps of faith, I guess, into the unknown. And still do. I still do mad, crazy things like that as well. What's your favourite one, Vin? Um... Well, I'm, I'm quite forthright about when I know that I can help someone, I let them know. Now, I just know that that's the kindest thing I can do. Mm. So whereas I've had all this insecurity, I've worked with my optician just by walking in the opticians and having a conversation with him. Um, I've met clients in the queue and it has to. You know, I've got clients out of the queue at Asta. Um, just because I just know that there's something that I know that they don't. And what does I, that conversation I'm, look like? What do you say? Um, it'll vary, you know, to be honest, it'll vary. But it'll, it'll start with like any conversation. Good morning, how are you? Right. And people love to tell you. And I love to listen. I love to listen. And where I can, I will find a way of helping them. And you help someone make a real shift in their life. And they'll just want to continue that somehow. They'll want to stay in the conversation because, <laughs> as you know yourself, there's nothing like being unburdened of all the yes. You know, so that's my favourite hobby <laughs> is, is um, changing people's lives in the most obscure places. So you go to the supermarket and buy one thing at a time so you can queue up and have a conversation. <laughs> well, it's funny, I don't, I don't go to the supermarket to get clients, but I don't, I don't, I don't limit myself to where I am. Mm, yeah. You know, whereas I used to have these limits on how I will help someone or who that would be, you know, because my not enoughness kept me in a box. It really does, doesn't it? When you accept that and and kind of wear it on a t-shirt as you go through your life, or you don't wear it on your t-shirt. That's the other thing too, is that, like you said, I love your the analogy of the swan, you know, above water, looking so graceful and beautiful, but underneath you're just... (laughs) Um, I love that. And it's so true, I think, for so many people that what what they show outward and what's inward is so different. Yeah. Well, that was me for so long. You know, and now... um, I just see the 
how pointless that was. You know, everyone is struggling. We all struggle. We all suffer from time to time. But we're all wanting to love the fuck out of each other as well. I really know that. I just... Yeah, it just gets proving that to me, and so I don't mind showing. Like I took my armor off, and I do. Mm-hmm. I show my mess ups publicly. I've got no. I've got I've got no insecurity about people knowing what a failure I am, either. Just as I've got no insecurity about people knowing how magnificent they are, because it's what connects us universal feeling it's not that you're a failure or magnificent it's it's the moment you have moments of being you know where things turn out that they're you know you fail at them or they just they don't you know and there's other moments where you're absolutely they are magnificent yeah. neither one defines you and I think that's important for people to know from my point of view certainly it is it's like, I want people to know my humanness. That's exactly Because we're all afraid of that humanness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We're all afraid of it. We're all afraid of, of being open and honest. Yeah. And there is a flow. And there's a, there, the beauty is in the flow. One moment, you could be absolutely magnificent. And the next minute, you're a hot mess. this is why babies I was thinking about it yesterday this is why babies are so beautiful they literally can go from like this hot mess one second to you know laughter and giggles the the next yeah Yeah. try and judge it or get stuck in that moment (laughs) yeah they don't worry do they about you know what what the mom is going to think of them if you have a tantrum yeah just have it and I think the more the closer that we can become to that childlike being, yeah, the easier time we seem to have. This is what I tell my clients too. It's like one of these things that when you're kind of in the moment of the hot mess, that's just a time to love yourself more. Because when you think about it, what do, what does a baby need when it's feeling that is cuddles, you know? Yeah. just needs love. And, and we're the same. We're just big babies. Yeah. In those moments, you just need cuddles and loads of love. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's so true, that is. It is so true. It's, you know, we know that the answer is love and acceptance. Yeah. And we're out, you know, that's what we're outward when we're having a tantrum. That's what we're asking for. Yeah. You know, I've worked with some parents who when, especially teenage years, there's <laughs> where they just, they're just losing their shit with their kids mm-hmm. constantly. And they're, <laughs> and, and, and as is their child. And then so there's a, there's an action happening. There's a reaction happening. And there's just a hot mess <laughs> happening there. <laughs> you know, and, and and when I say to them, that's your child just screaming for love in that moment. They're like, oh, you don't know my kid. <laughs> They're the exception. Yeah, I, I guess, and I, I can relate to that. You know, I've got children, so I know, although mine are grown up now apart from my stepdaughter, but she doesn't really have tantrums. She's, <laughs> you know, so yeah. I can relate to Again, you know, we're, we're constantly measuring ourselves. How am I doing as a parent? How am I doing as a partner? How am I doing? Yeah. It's like, I don't know how I'm doing. Because you know, the measurements I, are really made up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the best guide I have to how I'm doing is, is my feelings. My feelings will let me know whether I'm on track or on track. You know, whether I'm in love or under the illusion that love doesn't exist today (laughs) you know my feelings and so I don't ever personally need to go and ask myself how I'm doing I can just do it have that tantrum my feelings will let me know (laughs) but if you're constantly like I was trying to control 
that and you never really get to know you know I can really see that my constant management of my mind and my feelings and my life was preventing me from ever learning these lessons well it's to me there's two things that stuck out there and the one where you're saying like there's I don't know who says it but it's just like a default setting that we have and we are naturally, I think it's Bill Pettit who said it in a course I'm taking with him, um, we're naturally designed to, 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 to live in a flow. And our feelings, and when we're kind of trying to manage everything, it's an indication that we're away from our default setting, you know. We're just moving farther away from that baseline. And the more we, I think we try to control and get caught up in the story and analyze and judge, we just keep moving away. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then something else happens and we're, we're already away from our defaults, so then we're farther away, mm. you know. And whereas if we just kind of, like I think of a surfer, kind of go with the flow with the waves, then I'm not a surfer, by the way. <laughs> Um, but you know like and and that 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 takes us to that default setting and that's and like you said earlier that your feelings are they're a barometer they're there it's a personal alarm it's a gift yeah it's such a huge gift yeah and it's so simple you know I realize the simplicity of this more and more yeah, you know, as, as fast as I see how simple it is, at some point I see it's even simpler than that. <laughs> I know. You know, and it's kind of, you know, but what I also love, Jessie Lynn, is knowing that complicated is okay too. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's, that is part of the design. And I guess that's changed for me. That was, you know, so I constantly wanted to live in flow. I constantly wanted to be. It was such a beautiful feeling, you know. Um, (laughs) Understanding that that's how I I went down the rabbit hole of believing that this understanding could keep this feeling alive. Mm, Yeah. And... I don't have to worry about keeping the feeling alive. I'm designed with the whole rainbow of feelings. <laughs> yeah. they, they come as part of the package. And so my willingness to have them and not worry about them is, was very welcome. And it's like somebody said, I was having a conversation the other day with somebody and I said anger is... A, a gift um, and they didn't see it you know in the initial part of the conversation but it was it's a really really a gift yeah and That's all true. these things are a gift I I do work with angry men and it's it's some of my favorite work I do I love it it's really it blows my mind you know because the first thing I say say to them when we get in the room is I'm going to show you what your anger means. I'm not going to take it away because it's going to navigate you through life. It's going to it's going to take you where it needs to take you. You're going to respond rather than react. That's the beauty is that you don't you can have a feeling and you don't have to have an action that follows that feeling or a reaction. Yeah. <laughs> Or, you know, even, like, I mean, and I've got no evidence of this. This is, this is the thing, isn't it? Like, we don't know. You know, I sometimes wonder, would my response or reaction have been different before this understanding? Because there were times, too, you know, prior to this, where I, didn't react to my anger and that just shows that that's just evidence to me that we all see this we all know this intuitively we don't really need an explanation 
When you talk about the understanding, what does that mean for you? So I, again, I'm going to keep this really simple because I don't affiliate myself with any brand names. I just, you know, I, I when I when I work with people, when I talk to people, when I give talks, when I'm working in corporates, and I know that a lot of people talk about the three principles or the principles behind clarity, I don't really do that because it's a step in the wrong direction for me because the first thing people do is go off and read something under that description. And it becomes a prescription. So I simply talk about how the mind works. I say, you know what, it changes every day. I don't have, I don't have that Jesse Lynn where this is what I do, this is what I talk about. Because mm. I, see, I see the lostness that the prescription leads to. And so it's something that I'm... There are many philosophies that have pointed to this same thing throughout history. So I don't really need to give it a name. So what is it for you? <laughs> Can you hear my dog? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jeff. to visit. <laughs> um, simply how the mind works. Mm. That's it. Nothing more than that. Nothing extra. Nothing else the simplicity of a rebel <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is, it's just I've seen it I've seen I've witnessed it I've, I've seen how much I know how we run off and try to find the information and I want to keep whoever's in front of me away from the information mm. there. I, want, I want them to start reading the information that's in here yeah, you know, that's in the heart, that's in the, that deepest part of us, that's in the, that comes from consciousness, that is consciousness. I want to keep them in that space. Do you work more with individuals or with businesses? Or just a mixture of both? It just, or it depends? Yeah. A mixture of both. I'm, I, work, I, do, I do both. I have one-to-one clients. I run online programs. But actually, the majority of my work is in corporate. Yeah. I do this work in corporate, which is completely um, different than I thought it would be. I thought getting in corporate would be really hard. Yeah. And yeah, I had that work kind of goes in for me. It's, it's a bit of a... I don't, even, I don't even want to question it anymore because I've had moments where I've wanted to get that up. Yeah, it looks so different than what I really wanted to do. But actually, humans are humans, wherever they are, and corporates are simply a group of humans. So, when you if, do, you approach them and say, you know, let's have a conversation about how the mind works and how it works in, in the workplace. Yeah, well, yeah, but you know, I mean, if you think about the people you know, I bet some of those are corporates. Yeah. And so it isn't that I've approached them to get corporate work. I'm in connection, I'm in relationship, I'm yes. in service with humans. And they happen to be in corporate and say, you could come into my organisation and do that. This would really benefit the organisation. And so it's been a natural, it really has been a natural step, you know, for me. Um, there hasn't been anything about that. And then saying that, Jessalyn, because when I first started the corporate work, I then, I got curious and I thought, oh, I like this. And so I did email some corporates and say, who could I have a conversation with? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so, yeah, it's just been a very natural. They, you know, they responded back. Some said, we're not interested, some said. As soon as they say, you know, we have a process and you would have to pitch, I say, I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, that isn't what I do. I'm not pitching. Yeah. Not, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's me. That's me out of the game. 
if someone wants me to pitch for work or, you know, enter a, what do they call, I don't even know what they call the process, whether you know, enter a te- like a tendering process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and what I'm always looking for is, is like, oh, I'm ready for you, Nikki. Like, yeah. You know, I'm looking for that firm commitment. And that it doesn't come from a tendering process. It, yeah, it, it's the it's beautiful when it just comes together. Yeah. yeah, it's really like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, and it's just like it fits in, and you're like, oh, nice. So, what about your online pro like program? What's that? <clears throat> My most recent one um, actually begins on the 29th of April. That's for women, and really, it's women coming together in circle. Mm. It's the first time, Jessie Lynn, that I've ever run anything like this. You know, I've run online programs, I love them. But actually getting women together in circle and revisiting our true nature in terms of what was it like for our ancestors? Our ancestors had ceremonies. We have habits. They're very similar. Mm. And I really want to take women on a journey where we look at that. Because what our ancestors did in ceremony, they did in connection. And to connect deeper with nature, with the natural world, they did it within the natural world. And I see that a lot of our habits are that. Yeah. But misunderstood. You know, when, when we look at um, drug use, you know, I, I sniffed cocaine for years to try and connect. Um. What I didn't realise is that I was, what I was really missing was the connection to the natural world. I felt so separate. I didn't know that it was part of me that was within me. And so it's, it's looking at ceremony and cycles and rhythms. We're so disconnected very often from mm-hmm. rhythms. We, we don't... And then we'll sort of develop a practice. You know, if we, if we kind of have an inkling, you know, we'll just take the basic seasons, for instance you know, winter, spring, summer, autumn, instead of truly connecting and leaning into it and what that means and what, how, how that impacts our body through consciousness, instead of leaning into it that way, what we do is that we then get these habits. Oh, very often we'll, we'll like try and deny winter. Yeah. <laughs> truth from over here where there's still snow (laughs) yeah so it's about leaning into these rhythms and cycles and ceremonies and finding your own rhythm finding where it is for you because it's unique for although we're you know how this works for all of us is universal we're all a unique expression yeah of a universal source and to deny that to try and be just universal well, that isn't what you're here for. Yeah. So that's a year of miracles. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I've never done anything like that before, but I'm really looking forward to it. I launched it properly this morning and three have signed up, so. Oh, good. Huh. Are you going to cap it? Like, are you going to have, like, a certain number? Because for me, when I'm, I just have a, I don't know, like, I like a, a smaller, what I've realized is I like the smaller, intimate you know, 10, maybe 20. Um. It's funny because I always have, I love intimacy, I love getting to know people. I have a feeling, and I'm going to go with this, I'm going to I'm going to leave it open. I'm going to, mm, yeah. I've always capped my programmes. And it was funny, you know, about two weeks ago when I was talking about this to my partner, Stephen, he looked at me and said, why'd you do that? Mm, yeah. I said, I don't know. And he said, well, he said, do you think you do it because you're insecure? And I knew the truth of that as soon as I said it. <laughs> I knew it was right. And, you know, I just got totally honest. I thought, yeah, I do, actually. That's me trying to second guess trying to maintain the status quo mm. that's me imagining that I can only function well in groups of 10 20 or whatever interesting well I'll tell you what Jessie Lynn what do I know 
absolutely nothing. But I'd say I can trust. Yeah. Knows that some, you know, the consciousness won't let me go over the edge. It's right. And it just, again, it's that we have that personal alarm, what feels right. But that was interesting. That, that struck a chord for me for some, I just made a little note to myself there. Yeah, it's how did to me. And since then, you know, I've got to say to anyone listening to this, my partner is the wisest guy. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know it. <laughs> but I have so many insights from his comments you know and when he said this because and, and he doesn't look in, look in this direction although he will say he does because I play Sid in bed as I'm falling asleep <laughs> he'll say I don't need to come to conference Nikki I know it I live this and that's true you know but he is very naturally like this too um but I just <laughs> saw my insecurity in that when he said that and I thought you're so right Stephen like yeah. And it keeps, it keeps, I keep getting that affirmed. You know, there've been moments where I've thought over the last two weeks, oh, I'll cap this. Mm. So that I'm foolish if I don't get X amount of people on. And that's, that's true. I have had those thoughts. And I just thought, that's bullshit. Like, that's me thinking of me in control. I don't need to control life. I just want to run what comes up for me is the, what if I can't serve them all fully? You know, if it's a really, like, if it's a really big crowd, then it's like, oh, yeah. that personal, you know? Oh, yeah. Me too. It's interesting. But, like, kind of listening to that, you know that that's bullshit too. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. <laughs> more forgiven, more than we can. Yeah. Huh. We must thank Stephen for me for that little question. I will do. <laughs> well, listen, Nikki, this has been a fabulous conversation. I knew it would be. I had no doubt. Um, I really want to thank you for taking the time. I know this is your day off, kind of. Um, well, I consider this part of my day off. It's been gorgeous. It really, really has. So thank you so much. And I'll put all your contact information in the show notes if people want to reach out to you. Thank you for having me, Jessie Lou. Thanks. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. That was such a great conversation, but it was also incredibly deep and filled with wisdom. As Nikki told you in her story, she lived behind a mask for many years. When she was deep in the struggle, she couldn't see past the dark thoughts and thought she wanted to die. It's only when Nikki stopped swimming upstream that she gave up the fight. And a curious thing happened. She woke up and started living. She embraced who she was in that moment. And she also realized that regardless of her circumstance, she was okay. This is really powerful. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Here are a few thought bomb takeaways. When we create a story of low self-worth and not enoughness, we stay behind the mask. And it's really such a heavy place to live. We limit ourselves because we believe the story we've constructed. And if we live in this state for long enough, it starts to manifest symptomatically in our bodies. When we allow ourselves to drop the mask, we see that potential and possibilities are endless. When we're feeling off track or off kilter, there's huge information in that. As Nikki says, your feelings are like a personal alerts, alert system. I heard a great metaphor by Dr. Bill Pettit. He referred to our feelings as a personal biofeedback system. Feelings are not to be avoided, changed, or managed. They just are. They're a barometer to the quality of your thinking. Nothing more, nothing less. That's really powerful, though. Trying to control and manage our thoughts and feelings is exhausting and keeps us stuck. When we let go of the need to control, we start swimming downstream. We move quickly back into the flow. And finally, a beautiful life is really simple, even when it's complicated. The simplicity lies in understanding that life ebbs and flows. Thoughts, feelings, experiences of life change moment to moment. There's nothing you need to do but be in the moment. You can't be in your head and in the moment at the same time. Until next time, be well, be inspired, be you. 
If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll share this podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Jessie Lynn, please check out the contact page on her website, jessielynnmcdonald.com. Also, we'd be beyond grateful if you would leave us a review. Join us next time for another edition of the CPR of Life.